Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to a special first birthday edition of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast, where two music genres go toe-to-toe in a tit-for-tat, tete-or-tete, to determine the weakest sect of music. And speaking of where, I'm Aaron, Aaron Ware, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host, he's the captain of Team Metal by day and the Perthbury Doughboy by night, it's Evan the Metal Man. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, good. That that was quite a stretch for a pun. The Perthbury Doughboy. Yeah, that was a, that was a well, long jump. You do better. <laughs> That's your job. Yeah, I know. Anyways, guess what? What? We have another Broadway diva in the studio today. And I still can't believe how any of these icons end up on our pitiful podcast, particularly since this peachy keen performer ate up the butter and egg man in his New York stage debut before planting the seeds of a blossoming career where he branched out as a tree grows in Brooklyn and showed signs of his stardom in the world premiere of Gemini, which paved the path to Putnam County to cast a spell over Broadway in the 25th annual Putnam Spelly Counting Bee where he got his pandemonium on by covering not one, not two, but six different characters. Shout out to Sybil. And after attending Ride Our High, he rocked the boat in Guys and Dolls, then came of age on the 20th century, didn't budge as the titular Mudge in Henry and Mudge, and thankfully didn't jump the shark in Goodspeed's Happy Days the Musical, because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to return to Broadway in Rogers plus Hammerstein's Cinderella, where he rebelled and rallied the townsfolk to protest the 28 versions of Cinderella that we've been given in the past five years. And sadly, his efforts went unnoticed, much like Amos Hart in Chicago. And yet, with a dozen or two more shows under his belt, including Ever After the New Yorker and The Play That Goes Wrong, it's his mad bathing skills which burst his pandemic bubble by soaking up his bathtub theatre series, the sequel to his tasty fridge theatre performances, and let's hope he waited 30 minutes before jumping in the bath, And while COVID may have burst that bubble, this stunner rose like good bread to get back on stage in his one bare show, all washed up. And just when you think I've showered the man with praise, it's his unmistakably unshakable appearances in the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and as the iconic Jeffrey Weiner slave, aren't we all, in 30 Rock that have TV audiences saying, oh, it's that guy. And that's without even dissecting his stint on Grey's Anatomy. But that's okay, because today, Wiener Slave is here to be a slave to the metal. So please give the warmest g'day to the beautifully bubbly Boston-born Broadway babe, Mr. Todd Buonapane. How are you doing? Oh, well, you said my name right. That's amazing. Yes. Um, That was crazy. There are credits that you named that I haven't even thought about in years, so... Yeah, sorry to bring them up and rub it in. No, it's fine. I don't have bad feelings towards any of them. You are on the torture chamber now, so expect that. (laughs) And the internet remembers everything. Exactly. Should I start out with a dirty story? Always. (laughs) So, yeah, my 30 Rock character is named Wiener Slave, but most people are like, oh, that guy. Most people think I went to high school with them because I've been on like a total of probably 45 minutes of television, but like but people think they know me or people will know me from 30 Rock. And at least I'm like, well, you have good taste if you're a 30 Rock fan. The, well, I was on tour right before the pandemic and I um, hooked up with a bartender in Norfolk, Virginia. 
Okay. And yeah. before saying anything else, gave me a little service and then looked up at me and said, guess I'm the wiener slave now. And I said, that's not the time to tell me that you're a fan. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. He gave you a service. Was that just the tip? Anyway, it's moving on. Oh. Just the tip. No, it was a bartender joke. I think it went over everyone's heads, literally and figuratively. It was a bartender joke? Yeah, you know, tips. <laughs> yeah, you know, the tip jar. <laughs> I get Tipping is not part of our culture here. We pay our employees properly. Yeah, bravo. Yes. Uh, so anyways, it's uh, you've had your one-man show all washed off, as I mentioned in your, uh, your introduction. But um, sadly, that... COVID got in the way of that. Oh, well, COVID got in the way of when I was doing it in Provincetown um, because I caught COVID and had to cancel my last performance. But then I just, uh, I got better because I'm vaccinated and I just did it at 54 below and then I'm doing it at Green Room 42 in the fall. Yep. And for metal fans at home, you may have heard of Studio 54. 54 below is a nightclub down below it, which is a cabaret venue and it is very popular in New York City. So it's basically anyone who is anybody performs at 54 Below. I have heard of the downstairs of Studio 54. Yes, by now you should have. But no, um, Todd, you say that people with good taste are a fan of 30 Rock. I'm sad to, or unsurprised to say that Evan wasn't a fan, uh, at least last time we spoke about it. Not that I'm not a fan, I just haven't, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I just have not seen it. No taste at all whatsoever. (laughs) Anyways, now we'll move on to metal. So have you had any experience with metal growing up? I mean, I have experience with like the hair bands of the 80s. Yeah. I don't know if I would even call poison metal though. Yeah, they're glam metal. Yeah, they're, they're glam. Glam metal. Yeah. Glam metal. Okay. Um, well, I'm a glam bear. So um, I, yeah, I knew poison. I especially knew this album cover. Because I remember as a child being terrified of this album cover. My cousins growing up were older than me and we would hang out in their basement and their basement was just kiss pictures, kiss mm-hmm. po- posters. And I couldn't go down there. I would start to cry because I was so scared. So like <laughs> this picture of, on this album cover with that snake tongue or whatever's coming out used to like, give me nightmares. So I had to walk away from the computer when I was listening. You and most of the the parents' associations in America, because they successfully had that cover banned. They did? Yeah. Yeah. They had to re-release a different version of the cover that is just the eyes. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it, but I think if people want to look at it, they should get to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, They went, no, no, that's a demon. That's demonic. It's, you know, uh, corrupting our children. Take it down. So Walmart started pulling it from shelves. And when Walmart started pulling it, your stuff off the shelves you, you got to do something about it so yeah they did a... it is scary though right it's right over your shoulder it's so scary well walmart is scary <laughs> that's what they were going for yeah exactly yeah fun fact i i got to go into walmart with my own walmart weirdo he was carrying a coconut shout out to andrew who's probably living in a tent right now somewhere uh anyways funnily enough you <laughs> mentioned the cover because i've written mm-hmm. a review and would you like to hear it? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. When I first saw the cover, I was so excited. I love Jocelyn Wildenstein, but I was thrown off by the album title. Open up and say, ah, uh, yeah, nah, I'm not falling for that a third time. But regardless, I hesitantly slid into Spotify and chucked on this 1988 album. The opening number, Love on the Rocks, was relatable since my love life has been on ice since before COVID. 
but this blistering track rings of a radio-friendly hit, an easy beat, sleazy vocals, and lyrics to make Sondheim cringe. So once track two started up, nothing but a good time. I was surprised that I wasn't surprised that it sounded like the same old, same old, just like track one. Back to the Rocking Horse was fun, and I could imagine it being performed by Young Talent Time back in 1988. But it isn't until Good Love does this celebrated CD begin to become interesting, which is fitting since you definitely hear this at a redneck hoedown. Sadly, for track five, things fell back to basics, and whilst the sleazy and sing-along easy lyrics are there, I won't be tearing down the walls anytime soon, though I may watch them paint dry. Look But You Can't Touch sounded like it came from the fine young cannibals, as did Fallen Angels, which is a song that I actually do know and sang along to upon first hearing. Either that or the easy lyrics and sleazy beat here became far too consistent. And even then I made up most of my own lyrics and only got the key words right. And from these seven tracks rose the massive hit, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, which was my most skipped track upon all 23 listens. Because sadly, every album has its Every Rose Has Its Thorn. I was excited to see the band cut loose and kick off their Sunday shoes with the Jim Messina, Kenny Loggins hit, Your Mama Don't Dance. And Bad To Be Good amped up the sleeves with some notes only a dog could love. And we all love a sleazy dog, don't we? Three stars. Well, three stars is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I no. disagree. I, I actually like a lot of Poison songs, and I think this album is pretty bad. I think Every Rose Has a Thorn is a great song, but it's amazing how many of the songs sound exactly the same. Yeah. They did, didn't they? It's lazy. It seems really lazy to me. And again, I really <laughs> like a good amount. Because I was like, oh, Poison. I know some Poison songs. And I was looking up. I'm like, oh, all the songs I like are not on this album. Yeah. I enjoyed the Your Mama Don't Dance, Your Daddy Don't Rock and Roll. Because that's fun. But like, there's just the chord structure is boring. It's always like they sing a chorus and then the guitar plays the bridge. <laughs> Easy and sleazy. It's just, yeah, they, I was a little embarrassed for them listening to it. <laughs> yeah. They hit on a winning formula and they stuck with it. Well, that's the problem though, isn't it? Isn't that what we complain <laughs> about with Metallica every fucking time we mention Metallica on this show? They yeah, just keep right. falling back on what they know. They, I, I said it, how many times did I repeat that it was just all the same and fell back to basics and easy and sleazy? It, it's what you would expect rednecks to go fucking crazy for. No offense to our redneck listeners out there. I do love you. But just so you know, in the 80s, this wasn't really a redneck album. No, but it, it does sound like it now. I mean, I grew up in Boston with a lot of like girls with high hair. Yeah. And they like this stuff was really popular there. Yeah. You were either New Kids in the Block or you were this. I wasn't either. You wasn't either. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was. It was just. I don't know. Defend your choice, Evan. What are you giving up already? <sighs> Tell us how why we're wrong. No, no, no. I was, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. Nineteen ninety-eight. Look, I propose that Poisons open up and say, uh, is a theme album. It's a concept album, and the concept is party, party, party. Sorry about the mess. The boys from Poison throw the kind of party that Andrew WK would be embarrassed to attend. Attend. He'd be embarrassed to attend. <laughs> this is these guys are way too far gone for Andrew WK. Um, this album is all about you know reveling in your youth, 
and having a damn good party along the way. Um, Fallen Angel, uh, as, that you mentioned, I, I think could easily be a theme song for a 90s high school sitcom. And of course, Steve Buscemi, once again, with a song that will live forever. Every rose will have its thorn. I mean, they wrote a song that'll live forever on That's this album. fucking awful. That's why I live forever, because it's a cockroach. <laughs> it won't ever die. It's awful. And they used it in Rock of Ages. And, of course, that was the one song, that and Don't Stop Believing, which, okay, has been used in enough movies. And and yeah. so every time I hear that, I either think of the Glee Kids or Christina Ricci and Charlize Theron roller skating, holding hands as lesbians. So, you know, that at least evokes images. <laughs> Every rose has its thorn just makes me want to fucking scream because it's a ballad. It's awful. No, but at least there's song structure. They like wrote a full song. Yeah. I also like that every rose has its thorn starts with. <sighs> yeah. You hear him sigh. Yeah. I guess it's Brett Michael sighing almost as if they made me sing the song. And I'm like, <laughs> what is the story there? I, th I think the, the story is he he broke up with the. Oh, you got, he broke with he got dumped got dumped he got dumped, got dumped no 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 no. sorry he didn't get dumped he was on the phone to her and he heard a male's voice and he was heartbroken right. and wrote this yes. song people stop writing ballads when you're heartbroken yeah stop writing ballads because we have to hear it and no. it's awful on, adele wrote a whole album about heartbreak and it's brilliant and um, you have not heard me mention her name once on this show for a reason <laughs> <laughs> No, she's 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 good. Brett Michaels is also the person who got hit in the head during the Tony Awards. Stop taking my material. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, these these guys. Oh God, where did they start from? Can't remember. They started in you know some little small town. They went bugger it, moved to LA um, with nothing, and they're literally you know homeless, living on on handouts. Um, you know, playing pubs. Uh, the, I think they were ghosting Motley Crue. And, you know, handing out flyers, these guys were just, you know, doing anything they could, you know, to get noticed. So they, they did really evolve as a pub band, as we, we would call a pub band anyway. Um, and, and a lot of their songs did, were written and, you know, evolved sort of on the road, fleshing out while they're playing. But yeah, this is the second album, and this is before everything all went sideways. So if anything, I think it's their, you know, their most together album. It's the longest time they've been together without punching each other. Well, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, yeah. Then in my research, I did see I had no idea about the uh, the Tony Awards in two thousand and nine on in the in the sixty third annual Tony Awards. Yeah, Poison performed with the cast of Rock of Ages, and Broadway responded by laying out Brett Michaels on the floor, and it fractured his nose and gave him a fat lip. But it certainly did lay him out good. I, I watched that video a few times. Yeah, I remember seeing it um, live and thinking, "Oh no, that then, that can't be good. That's gonna no, that's someone that didn't go yeah. to rehearsal." Yeah, <laughs> but because that thing was coming up and down in between every act constantly, like you should know where the big Broadway sign is and. Yeah. yeah, but then the crazy thing is, and the segue with the rink is that only a few acts later, out walks Liza Minnelli. Yeah. She performed uh -huh. in the same on the same stage, literally ten minutes later. Yeah, which I thought was. She'll do every Tony Awards if, yeah. if they can get her. Oh, okay. I don't have a problem. This with is that. the only little bit of the Tonys that I've watched. But yes, all in all, the boys don't want nothing but a good time while they're tearing down the walls. <laughs> you know they've got to be bad to be good. Good, not great. <laughs> oh, now you fucked me up. Now I'm going to start again. Gonna start again. I'm gonna do this. Sorry, because yeah, the boys do don't want nothing. Got to be used to it by now. <laughs> but a good time. 
Oh my god. Take three. The boys don't want nothing but a good time while tearing down the walls. They know you've got to be bad to be good and to take your love on the rocks. And even if your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll, we realise that every rose has a thorn. And look, they're just looking for some good love with a fallen angel and would like to get back to the rocking horse. Wow. Very good. Evan, can I ask you a question? Did, did they write their all their own songs? Yeah, as far as I know, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think they did. Mo uh, all on this album except your mama don't dance yeah but did you write that pun speech yeah of course i did what are you talking about well done pat on the back to you <laughs> i don't i don't i don't i don't i don't plagiarize shit people call you out but i know what men are like they've got wives and they ask their wives to do it for them but yeah yeah they yeah there is a there's a segue well we'll get to it after the after the rink there's i've got this thing where poison and liza minnelli intertwine other than just performing on the same really? stage. Oh, yeah. It might have happened at, stu at Studio 54, actually. <laughs> I think yeah. they were... No, they were still in primary school. I know, but if you're yeah. at a party and Liza Minnelli's hitting on you, <laughs> don't you just say yes so you can tell the story the next day? Yeah, probably. But I'm not the biggest fan of her. We'll get on that. I won't spoil that now. Wow, I should I should leave this podcast right now. No, sorry. <laughs> well, I've never seen a Barbara Streisand movie either. Anyways, it's not about me. It's about Poison. Look, they, they are very familiar, but just a bit vanilla, Ugh. really. Oh, well, yeah. They're, they're your classic story of, ex, you know, extreme fame, excess, you know, drugs, alcohol, partying, yeah, and eventually punching each other and breaking up. Cliché, vanilla. As much as I don't love this album, as much as... Like, I actually, as much as I don't love the album cover, I think the album cover is the most interesting thing about the album. Oh, I agree. That, that I think, is why it got three stars. <laughs> and it's not Jocelyn Wildenstein, who people might remember as the cat lady. It's a model named Bambi. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to Bambi, who is still around. I... Um, that was not her real tongue. <laughs> Hope not. Um, yeah, so, okay, well, I think um, we've swallowed enough poison for now. <laughs> So we'll chuck to a quick ad break and we'll be back in a moment with Todd Bornapano. Coming this summer, winter, spring or fall, the first ever musical theatre sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! I've been mentoring you. Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. Watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theater charities, acting for others, and the theater's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. 
Nice. Tight. Alrighty, listening to Thrash and Treasure, I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we're joined by Broadway star Todd Bornapane. Now, we've got the Tony Awards coming up, as we are just talking about. What, what's the vibe like there this time around compared to other years where other years it's been standard procedure this time around? It's, you know, it's a little bit different. I'm a, I'm a Tony voter, so I, uh, I get two free tickets to every new show that opens, and I get to, you know, vote in the Tony Awards, but... I didn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't vote in most categories because my tickets for Tina were in late March. So I never saw Tina. And if you don't see all the nominees, you can't vote. And they used to just take your word for it and people would vote anyway. And so now you have to actually like log into the show when you go to the show. And so then you get a customized ballot based on what you saw. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think the Tony Awards are going to be mostly performances because I think they're going to try and let everything that's coming back perform. And I'm okay with that. I want everyone to have a job and I want the, the thing to reopen. But I don't know if they're, I, they're not doing it at Radio City. They're doing it at some Broadway theater. I read that. Winter Garden Theater. I wonder if that's a big fuck you to Scott Rudin. Why? Because he's moving in. Oh, no, he was supposed to be producing the music man but now he'll be producing it behind the scenes where no one knows that he's producing it right yeah i don't know i I just hope i just hope things open well i hope audiences come i hope people stay healthy i have friends that are nominated i have friends that didn't get nominated in a very weirdly cruel nomination process yeah i don't know what this is this year and this time around i don't know i feel like there's an asterisk on this year no matter what so just you just should have nominated everyone that could be nominated we're talking about percy jackson yeah the lightning thief deserved more it was the only original musical that opened and they nominated scores of plays and not the score of that musical and it's just it seems a bit cruel what happened this year and like let's just celebrate everybody like Mm. you were doing this when the pandemic hit so let's just celebrate this time around. I thought, okay, I'll agree with that. There, I'm, I'm usually against participation ribbons, but yeah, okay, I can understand from that point of view. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it should be something special, but we've already shrunk it down to everything that opened within these few months because most of the yeah. shows that are Tony eligible open in eight March, April, and May. They just like get yeah. in under the wire, and so. All these shows that were going to open just didn't open. So you had like a third of the shows eligible. It's all, and I'm not saying that anybody nominated wouldn't have been nominated. I think everybody deserves it. I have great friends that are nominated. I'm so happy for them. But like, I just think we could have been kinder the way we did the whole thing. Yeah, no, that, that's that's fair enough. Um, I did have a, a follow-up to that. Now it's, <laughs> no, it's gone. Uh, I talk too much. I got opinions. No, no, no. That's my scatterbrain for you. That's I, I don't remember. I'm a goldfish. I'll have a thought and then literally five seconds later, I'll forget it. It's early onset dementia, clearly. I think that's why I, I will always do a concert where they ask me to learn a song in a day because I'm like, this kind of yeah. brain training is staving off the dementia. Evan, I keep cutting you off and I know I'm supposed to make fun of you, but I just keep cutting you off. Oh, no, that's all good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, 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 yeah. that's good. That's doing your job. <laughs> I was just going to say, not knowing anything about the Tony Awards, 
um, other than you know it's it's award shows for musicals it's it's a little unfair to have an award show when you know half the country has been shut down you know and you can't even you know, you've only had a third of the shows come out how can you how can you award things that haven't been able to to open that's just have just just celebrate theater you know yeah yeah so we'll move on to the musicals uh, the musical and this week Todd picked the musical and would you like to tell our listeners what you have chosen and why? I've chosen The Rink, um, yeah. which is a beloved flop of a musical. It wasn't, it ran for a little bit. It even had replacements. It did not make money. Um, but it's uh, Andrew and Ab, two of Broadway's greatest songwriters, Chicago, Cabaret. Um, and this was like not based on anything. They wrote it with Terrence McNally, um, who is like one of our great playwrights. And um, and I, uh, theater aficionados love this album. First of all, it's Liza and Cheetah. They both have like great numbers in the show. They have one of the all time great two lady duets. They're playing mother and daughter, even though Cheetah, I think was maybe four or five years older than Liza at the time. Um, and, it's one of those shows that we that like people always hope that they will find a way to bring back and put on stage. But I wonder if it would ever actually be rewarding. I like all the songs in the show, but there are some songs that are really ridiculous to me that if I'm in the right mood, I will cry. And if I'm in the wrong mood, I will laugh hysterically at it. So, um, and for some reason, Spotify or Sp- how do you say it? Spotify. <laughs> Spotify. Yeah, that's. Is that just you, or is that Australian? That's that. No, that's just me. Okay, it doesn't have the complete album on there. It has. I um, it's lacking one of my favorite songs in the show, which is "Don't Ah Mommy," which is Liza and Cheetah in the beginning when like Liza comes back home, and they have this "Don't Ah Mommy." You said you had to find yourself, find yourself, mother. It's just like really ridiculous. Like every homosexual I know wants to get together with their best friend and sing this at the duplex or something. It's a great song. Um, yeah, that's the rink. I mean, it's, it's a, a woman, a girl coming home to her mom and they owned a roller skating rink together or the mom and the father and the father's gone and the mom is selling the rink. So all the other people in the show are these men that are kind of packing everything up and that they will slowly start playing all the men in their lives through all these flashbacks. Yeah. Now I'm just triggered some trauma in me because my childhood skating rink has only recently closed down because of COVID. So rest in peace to that place. Sorry. Spent many, many, many days rolling round and round in circles. But however, whether or not this musical is good or not is up to Evan. (laughs) I think he's searching. Yeah, you're right. It's missing the finale. Yeah. I told you that. YouTube music is missing the finale as well. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. But I did tell you that Spotify was missing. It also, the Spotify one says it's the London cast, but it's not. It's the Broadway cast. Yes. Okay, yeah. All right. What did you yeah. think, Evan? All right. Okay. The Rink. Um, this musical is a trap. Oh, okay. I originally listened to it. It's a trap. I'm get there. I originally listened to it and I looked it up on Wiki and it didn't seem to have very great 
critical reception and didn't really do that well. And I was wondering, why would you choose this musical in particular? What is it about this one that springs to mind? And then I was kind of at a loss um, of, you know, what to, what to write about. There's a, there's a couple of genuinely good songs, like What Happened to the Old Days. I'd love that. Um, it's a great song and it's just nuts. About halfway through, they bust out the electric guitar and keyboards. The Rink itself is another really good standout track. So yeah, at a bit of a loss to, to what to, to write about, I started doing research into Liza Minnelli herself. Um, now I'm going to say something really stupid here. I had heard of Liza Minnelli. <laughs> I had heard of Cabaret. I had heard of Julie Garland. Judy. No Judy. Idea. Judy Garland. Oh, oh my God, I can't believe I... you just did that on my show. <laughs> oh my God, look at Tony's having a heart attack. Oh my God. I did warn you. I did warn you. <laughs> But I had no idea that Lisa Min Liza Minnelli was Judy Garland's daughter. I had no idea. So the musical is a trap uh, because Liza Minnelli is a goddamn legend. Yeah. She's the epitome of perseverance and ambition and is someone who was determined to make her name in the world without her mother's fame overshadowing her. Um, you know, she was born singing and dancing. She was born into a Hollywood lifestyle, performing, traveling, parents are just constantly working and moving around and then eventually you know parents get sick of all the hustle and bustle of new york and they move into this tiny little town called scarsdale and the only real opportunity to perform in that town was the high school musical where she auditioned for the role of anne frank and she won that role without the drama teacher knowing who her parents were and she kept that validation going and the validation of her own talent going right through her career and she did appear with a mother in Carnegie Hall, mm -hmm. um, which is a really strained performance, and it's really quite funny to watch if you watch well, the, uh, you do, the vision of it. Do you do realize um, that Judy Garland was like probably really fucking high on drugs at the time? She was pretty fucked yeah. up, and that's why she died so young. It's kind of a bit of a heartache for us gays. I think it was more that like Lisa was Liza. pretty much showing her up there, <laughs> Liza whatever you know who i'm talking about no no we don't <laughs> it's liza with a z spent she spent her life liza yes i know she did a whole show about that but she spent her early life making a mark on the world on her own back yep. on her own talent and then you know with the partnership of john kander and fred ebb who were also legendary composers and writers and directors and mm -hmm. everything she went on to become a megastar and now i think if the average joe blow aussie i.e. me, yeah. knows of Cabaret, knows of Liza Minnelli, knows of Judy Garland, had no idea that Liza Minnelli was Julie Garland's daughter. I think she achieved her goal in separating her talent from her parents. She did it. I think one of the great travesties in, the, in my research of musical history is learning that the song New York, New York is not bloody Frank Sinatra's song. Yeah. It's Liza's. Yeah. It was written for her. It's about her. It's the embodiment of her life in that song. And anytime you mention that song, we all think of the Frank Sinatra version. Well, bugger that. It's Liza's song. <laughs> and she needs to take it back. <laughs> Liza's. Liza's song. He's being so kind that he just can't get her name right. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm so yeah. impressed and mortified at the same time. I've almost broken out in a sweat. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like I said, I was a loss at what to write about this musical. Because, again, I couldn't find, you know, there's no bloody pro shots. There's no, mm. I don't think there's any bootlegs. I couldn't find any, mm. really any vision of it at all. 
So it's kind of hard to, yeah. I needed something to work off. So yeah, I ended up researching Liza herself. So that's got me wondering why the rink didn't do as well as it probably should have considering, you know, Liza was a megastar at this point, saving Chicago purely by just putting her in it. Um, and I think the ring was, sorry, the rink was before she broke her hips and did her knee and all her other health issues, um, which she nearly freaking died from um, and thought she'd never perform again. This was before all of that happened. So she was at her peak. And for some reason, the rink just, just didn't do very well. The pedigree was there. Yeah. You got Jason Alexander, Rob Marshall in the ensemble. Mm. Yeah, this is where the Liza Minnelli story and the Poison story intersect because they're essentially the same story in different cities. They're tales of excess, excessive drugs, excessive partying in people who are talented as hell and just got carried away with all the fame and fortune. Um, you know, Liza battling alcoholism, uh, C.C. DeVille and his cocaine habit, the bass player also with his alcoholism. Allegedly. And er Allegedly from who? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get sued. Oh, no, I've seen interviews with, with Liza talking about her alcoholism. No, no, there's no no allegedly here at all. Um, CC Deville, yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, everyone in, everyone in, obviously everyone in Poison had their own vice that they were dealing with. And um, thankfully, both sets of artists, funnily enough, came out the other side alive when when so many don't yeah 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 so so this musical is a trap because it made me research a person i've, I've only vaguely heard of yeah and and appreciate what a super fucking legend she is so you went down liza's hole oh, jesus christ i went down the <laughs> liza's rabbit hole <laughs> can i ask you a question evan did you have any desire to research cheetah rivera i didn't get that far have you even heard of Cheetah Rivera? No. Yeah, we'll we'll get to well, her. Well, Cheetah was also like in the original <laughs> Bye Bye Birdie. She was Anita in the original West Side Story on Broadway. So she's like, you have West Side Story on your wall behind you. Doesn't mean I've seen it. <laughs> and like this show was not well received. Um, I think people saw mm. it because of them. But in a season with like um, La Caja Foe and Sunny in the Park with George and the Tap Dance Kid and Baby, Cheetah Rivera won Best Actress at the Tony Awards, beating out Liza, oh. beating out Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters, one of her very best performances, too. So Cheetah was like the success of the show. And they both have had long histories with Kander and Ebb. Liza did her first Broadway show, Floor of the Red Menace, when she was 19. And that's Kander and Ebb's first Broadway musical. Ooh. Again, the album is incredible, but it's, it's about... <laughs> a woman that accidentally is messing up the communist party. It's such a weird concept for a show. I find it fascinating that the songs you picked out to like are kind of the, the decorative songs. They're like fun tunes, but they aren't the storytelling numbers. Now, most homosexuals that listen to this song will immediately say the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree is the best song in the show or like lies is colored lights or Chief Cook and Bottle Washer. Like these are, even people that didn't think The Rink was a good show, these are legit wonderful songs that people agree with that are like the homosexual community agrees are great songs. I find it so <laughs> fascinating, the ones that you chose, picked out. And I did, listening again last night, what happened in the old days, that weird electric guitar that comes in the middle of it. It's that weird thing that happened with musicals in the 80s 
that like they would try to put like modern pop influence in it. And it sounds very much like the eighties. I also love everything from the sixties that sounds a little bit like it's on laughing or Benny Hill every once in a while, because like, they're trying to like, they're trying to be influenced by the time, but I appreciate the, like the pops of the eighties that get in there. I think I solved why it wasn't a success because it's called the rink. It's about a skating rink. However, that music is so weird and, and eclectic and it does jump into electric guitar that it's more like a skate park. <laughs> You've got like all these different turns and jumps and leaps and stuff like that, as opposed to just going around in circles. If you've oh. got music that just went around in circles, people would have liked it anyways. Ooh. But no, um, so all in all, no, like I didn't, yeah, I didn't hate it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I couldn't sit there and go, these songs are terrible because they weren't. It was a hard one because there was no context and I couldn't find context. It's, it's hard to know what's, I mean, it's also very yeah. like white people let's focus on our lives kind of a, a show. But like, I do appreciate any kind of mother daughter dynamic in a show that always works for me. And I, I, I've seen like a bootleg of this, a pretty bad bootleg. I also think that this, like the visuals of the show were just poor. Like it looked cheap. It didn't right. like, there should have been some kind of like flashbacks where you see the, like the rink in its glory. And it was just kind of the broken down rink the whole time with flashbacks. I think literally nothing makes me happier than Liza going. And it's like the one of the last numbers when she's like, you're too stoned to drive. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It makes me laugh so hard. I had, I heard that. I had to stop. It's like, did she just say what I think she just said? Yeah. It's also very candor and ebb to take like a concept and to build a story around it. So they took like a kind of entertainment, right? So cabaret is built around like the cabarets of like the pre-Nazi Germany. Chicago is built around vaudeville. Um, this is built around like skating rinks and like trying to tell stories through that. And Kiss the Spy Woman is built around like old school Hollywood kind of movies. You know, they like to pick something and then like use it as a concept to tell their stories. They're very good at that. It's kind of their signature. And this is the show that sounds the most like Kiss the Spider-Woman of any of their shows. So you kind of see the transition from the 70s musicals into what they would become. I was never too familiar with, I knew Colored Lights from, is it in And the World Goes Round? It is. You know, I, I saw that and I think immediately I regretted it because I'm like, I would have much preferred to have just seen all those shows in their original form. Why did I need to pay for people wearing fucking black clothes and and they weren't even wearing jewel tone tops? No, they, they were just all in, in suits and like tuxedos and, and, you know, cocktail dresses and all in black and white. I think if you already know the material, the arrangements are very exciting. Well, I did know most of them, but it was like, I needed, I, I don't know, I guess I'd just done that many reviews as a child that now I'm like, now I'm- You're I'm not into it. it. Give me a, a narrative. I don't mind a song cycle because they're at least they you know, original songs that are all tied together somehow by at least a theme. But are they, like everybody in, in America is doing songs for a new world right now. There's great songs in that, but th it doesn't make any sense. They're not tied together by anything. 
Maybe not that one, but allergies is. What? Oh, allergies. <laughs> See, that's weird when you, I'm like, oh, is that, is that an Australian pronunciation or is that an Aaron pronunciation? <laughs> that's an Aaron pronunciation of too much time alone to think of this shit. And when you start saying a word over and over and over again, it becomes sounding like it sounds weird in your head. So then I'll typically start saying it as a new pronunciation. Don't ask me why. Yeah. Is it lonely over there? Boring. <laughs> um, and I'm stuck in lockdown, Dad. But no, I think we can put the, the brakes on the skates. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, look, it, it wasn't bad. I think if it, if someone was to ever you know, revive it, redo it. They have, with Caroline O'Connor. In Perth, where I could see oh, it. Oh, in Perth, okay, yeah, yeah. No one's coming to Perth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no one's coming to Perth. No. I'd be interested to check it out and, and, like, get the whole scope of it. But like I said, it's really hard without context and there's no way of really seeing that context. Um, you know, most, with, with every other musical, I can usually, you know, see some footage of what it's about. You know, like Sunday in the Park with George. I hate the music, but visually spectacular and loved it. I was very pro Evan until this very moment. Until this moment <laughs> when you really lost me. Suddenly me not seeing a Barbara Streisand movie isn't so bad, is it? I don't know. You're both battling for the worst right now. <laughs> Welcome to Thrush and Treasure. At the end of the day, I love Sunday with Park. <laughs> Sunday in the Park with George. It's it's fantastic. You just oh. hate the music. <laughs> yeah, the music by itself, because this is the thing, I'm listening to these without uh, seeing them. I'm, I'm listening to them as um, as an album, yeah. you know, musically, without any context, you know, without knowing anything about them. You're just chucking on an album and listening to it. So and am it's I. Album. It's a musical. So, yeah, but it's made to be an album. Yeah, I like, know. This is, Not all of them, though. Some know, of them this make... is a visual medium, and I'm just listening to the music of it without any... Well, whether or not it's yeah, good music sorry. is what you but can anyway, tell. Yes, no, the, the music from Sunday with the Park with George is too classical. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we, the world has heard your thoughts on Sunday in the Park with George, and that's why it's in the state it's in right now. I hope I'm getting a lot of credit for yeah. the amount of times I just haven't left this Zoom room at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think until until I can actually see until I can actually see the show, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with a two and a half down the middle. Okay. And I'll leave the oh, visual. Wow. That's much better than what I was expecting. I actually thought you would hate yeah, this. I didn't hate it. There's no. I thought you no, would. There's no bad. You know, there's no bad performances. It, it, the songs aren't aren't bad. It's just I need I need context. I need to. Yeah, I think I need to be able to. Did see you it. recognize that George from Seinfeld sang that "Marry Me" song? No, it wasn't until after doing a bit of research that I even realized he was in it. No, I don't think I've heard him sing before. Yeah, he can sing well. He was also in that Brandy, um, Whitney, Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. yeah. Which you were in the Broadway version, obviously. It's very different. You can say what you want. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, no, we won't bring it up because obviously uh, Cinderella is uh, won't be invited to the ball this year, apparently. Um, or that she was invited and not. I don't know what her fucking response was. I don't care. I don't, I don't take pattern pylons um but anyways we're gonna put the brakes on the skates and we'll be back in a moment g'day listeners aaron here while you're topping up your coffees did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time 
go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Crack, thud, the human trips over the uneven ground as the Twanimal blows out the lantern. Watch your step, Kapoor says a little too late. Why did you put the light out? Bollycosh, an open flame near hay bales? And here I thought you were smart, sir. Toniston agrees with how silly he must have sounded. What are we doing out here? The boy asks as they blindly walk around the side of the house, where they're greeted by giant shadows rising up above them. Unable to properly see in the pitch-black darkness, Toniston presumes they are the three hay bales. He looks around. The plains are vast and the spotlights out in the distance, now a purple colour, seem to be too far away to bring any real light to them. They do, however, look very pretty dancing on the rippling oceanic sky. Stand back, the silhouetted cub paw warns with his gruff but friendly voice, clearly able to see in the darkness better than the human who had constantly refused to eat his carrots. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! listening to thrash and treasure and all right it is tea time in our uh, conversations you mentioned that uh well when i had mentioned to you that you were in shrek i'll let you take the mic and share what happened after that well um so i was in the first national tour and i was the bad guy on his knees that's the whole show on his knees lord farquad and we rehearsed for six weeks in new york we did we went to chicago we did two weeks of tech we did two weeks of previews and the night before opening night, they asked me not to return to the theater. Ouch. And I, oh. uh, I mean, they eventually ha- had to say the words, you're fired. But like, yeah. then like a called me from a, like a rant to a secret place and said, I can't, I don't really know what's happening, but I think they're trying to make you quit. Don't say I quit. Um, they were trying to just like not let me do opening night and see if that would piss me off enough to quit, which they like, they, they just can't legally do any of those things with our union. But, um, no. but yeah, it was a, a very upsetting and shitty thing. And nobody talked to me. Like everyone had always told me I was great throughout. And I found out later that the, one of the owners of DreamWorks, that was the producer came and said, he's not like the guy we had on Broadway, which is true. Because Chris Sieber played it on Broadway and he was brilliant. But if you cast me, you kind of went a different way. I wasn't trying to reinvent the role. I was inspired by what Chris did. But like there was a lot that Chris did that just doesn't work on me. And so I was doing my own thing. And that's cool. They get to like decide who's in their show. They're paying for it. But they didn't. Nobody talked to me. And I was supposed to be on the road for a year. I had a year contract. And so I um, was sent back to New York. One of the only times in my life that someone bought me a first class ticket was like that moment. They bought me a first class ticket from Chicago to New York, which is an hour and a half flight. And I'm like, mm. I don't even have time to eat the ice cream sundae at that point. <laughs> but I was such a mess. I had given up my apartment. I had nowhere to live. I was living on sofas. And 
this was like what 2010 we weren't doing quite everything online that we're doing online now but i couldn't believe how quickly everybody in new york knew what happened and i like couldn't mm. walk down the street without people being like hi or i mean and occasionally good things like sutton foster saw me across the street and screamed my name and ran across ninth avenue to say they are awful they don't deserve you don't let them bring you down and like that means a lot but um I would also like to point out, since we're just doing tea, when I left the show, there were a few people that I was really close with that like came to my apartment, people I love, and then people that took me out to lunch. Oh, I had to fly out the day of opening. And some people took me out to lunch, two people that had been in the show since it like before it opened on Broadway. And I said, it's your opening night. Shouldn't you be celebrating? And they were like, this is our fourth opening of the show. This is the least amount we've ever been paid for it. We can take you out to lunch. Yeah. Which and they are lovely, but I wrote an email to the whole company, just tried to go out classy, and I was like, "It looks like it's my time to leave you all. I've had such a great time with you. We should be so proud of what we've created." And then I was like the union deputy, and so the guy that was taking over my role, who had understudied Chris Sieber on Broadway and was still understudying, they just gave the role to him. I have nothing against him, but I said, "I guess you're the I guess you're the new deputy now," and I just wrote something lovely. Two people contacted me from that. One man in the ensemble and one mother of young Fiona. And and I think it's because DreamWorks ran things and made everyone terrified of them. So everyone was afraid to talk to me. But like years later, I like saw a couple that was in the show and they were like, hi. And I was like, nope, you can't pretend to be my friend now. Because you like yeah. fully <laughs> didn't even like say, love you, hope you're okay, whatever. Like you don't have to do much just a text that like proves that I still exist. Anyway, I came back to New York, all that was happening. And I was like, I have to get out of New York. And so I, um, I found a $60 train to Montreal. Um, and I'd never been before. And I was like, I want to go somewhere where they don't know my name. Nobody knows who I am. And so I took this 10 hour train to Montreal. Montreal is not that far. It's just that this train stops like every 10 feet. And it, so it was a long train ride. And when you are losing your mind, the last thing you want to do is be alone with your own thoughts, which is all this trip ended up being was just me alone on the train for so long. And the, all, the only other thing I had to focus on was me talking to my agent and the union because DreamWorks was claiming that there were like pages of notes that I had never taken that I would refuse to take, which meant that they could like rightfully fire me. And it just wasn't true. And everybody knew it wasn't true. But I went away for like six days to Montreal. And I got there. And I didn't realize that in certain parts of Montreal, I was like, oh, they speak English and French. No, some places just speak French. Mm -hmm. And I was starving when I got off the train. And I went into this like little deli. And I just kept pointing at the pizza. And I was saying veggie slice, veggie slice. And somehow I walked out with an egg salad sandwich because we just didn't understand each other, which was delicious and that's fine. But again, I'm alone. I am walking around Montreal, like acting out the fights I wish I could have had with the people that didn't have the guts to face me. And then every time I passed a reflective surface of anything, I would just look and say a line from the show and be like, see, I was good, just losing my mind. So my agent had gotten me a great spa gift certificate in Chicago for opening night, $300 pretty big deal. And he got it back 
And on my way up to Montreal, he said, I found a spa in Montreal and I transferred it there. So go have a good time, which is really lovely. So I went and again, nobody spoke English at all. And so the first thing, it was like $300 got you a half day of lavender treatment. And so I get in, uh, the first thing they do is put me in like a single person sauna box. So I'm in this like wooden thing for 45 minutes. Again, with my own crazy mind, losing my mind. So they come and get me. And the woman says, how you say claustrophobic? And I was like, no, I'm fine, which I'm terribly claustrophobic, but I just felt like I needed to be agreeable. And she opens up this like giant space egg thing. (laughs) And I go in, she like takes my towel, I'm naked in it. It's a sensory deprivation chamber where you float in the darkness in like three inches of water. I was in there for Mm -hmm. an hour and a half and losing my fucking mind. But it like, it was in a pathway where people would walk through and I'm naked. So I want to get out, but every time I go to get out, someone walks through and I'm just losing my mind. So then they take me, they, they come get me, they hand me my towel. So I'm not naked. They walk me to my body scrub and massage. So the body scrub is just like, you know, this like salt stuff, whatever, but like this, I'm in this like paper underwear and this woman is getting in there. This woman is like picking up my belly and scrubbing under it. And I'm like, this is humiliating. This is, I feel like meat. It feels gross. So she does that. And then she points to a shower in the corner and she's going to prepare the table for my massage. And I go to the shower and there's no curtain. So I'm like, oh, well, it's very European here. Maybe you're just supposed to be naked. And so I take off my paper underwear and I shower off the scrub And I turn around and realize there were doors that I just didn't see. So now I'm the pervert that just made this lady watch me shower naked. But none of us speak the same language, so we don't know how to communicate to each other. And then she gives me 90 minutes of the worst massage I've ever had in my life. Just that kind of like petting where I'm like, ugh. I walk outside. I am like at my wit's end. A French Canadian bee lands on my cheek and stings me as I walk outside. But I will say that was the moment I laughed. Yeah. I thought, fi- cause I was like, what else? I finally started laughing. And then when I took the train home, I got a call from my agent and he's like two things. DreamWorks gave in and admitted they were lying. They have to pay out your contract for a full year. And mm-hmm. NBC called and they have another 30 rock episode for you. So it was like the things that like, if I was ever going to leave the business, that was it. And I still say to this day that like Tina Fey kept me in the business. And then after that, I I shot that episode and I moved to LA for three years. Is that enough tea for you? That was, that was a lot more tea, <laughs> a lot more graphic than I was expecting. Oh, no, I'm kidding. If you want graphic, let me also boost the strip joints in Montreal. It's very yeah. different laws in America. I have only ever seen female strippers in my life. Oh, I like that too, because I like the way they climb the pole. I think that's impressive. Yeah, and I got drunk in the bathroom at my brother's bachelor party with uh, the stripper. That's a story for another day. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, now, obviously, as you said, you you were lined up to play Lord Fuckwad, but it turns out DreamWorks was the fuckwad there. Oh. Uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> So, okay, when you're not tearing up stages or counselling Jack and Liz Lemon on screen 
you're a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they don't listen to this. <laughs> That's true. Well, so for the metalheads, can you describe the differences in your personal technique when acting for the stage compared to the screen? So what sort of things do you personally? Oh, okay. So a real question, like not a not a stupid question. I started being hired for TV before I really knew what I was doing. So I was just kind of doing the same thing, perhaps a little quieter. Because you'd be surprised how quietly people can talk when they're shooting TV and film. Um, but... Uh, what what I finally learned is like, right, we're on Zoom right now, the three of us. And, yeah. and when you're shooting, it's good to know what the frame of the camera is. Because I used to be like gesturing down here and no one could see it. So there's a very silly moment in one of my <laughs> later episodes of 30 Rock where I found out what the frame was. And I have an awkward moment where I just pump my pen, but I brought it up into frame and I'm very proud of that moment because it like took me a while to figure that stuff out because no one's gonna like teach you how it works. No. When I shot um, Grey's Anatomy, I was the first shot on the first day of this episode, and I, I play like uh, a nerd that gets his friend gets trampled at a comic convention because we're all trying to get a TARDIS signed by Russell Davies for Doctor Who. Okay, yep. I get trampled for that. You get trampled because you like being trampled. That's why he's my co-host. <laughs> someone said a, a line in the room, and then I had to follow a doctor in the room, and then I talked. But the way a lot of them on thirty on on Grey's Anatomy would talk, they'd be like, "I think it's her spleen. I think we're gonna have to look at her spleen." And it's really quiet. But I didn't know that yet, and so I am mm -hmm. outside the room, and the guy in front of me starts walking, and I walk in the room. I have heard nothing. The first take, the first day, I just went, is it my turn to talk? <laughs> <laughs> That's how it started. And then, then they were like, okay, let's go back. We're going to give Todd a cue. Someone's going to give Todd a cue. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> and it's just how they... Because they mic'd up. Yeah. I mean, in comedy, yeah. they tend to give you a little bit more. But there's something about, I think, in drama, when you have to sell something like really severe it's just kind of easy to just talk right here and to sound real whereas mm -hmm. if you're like putting voice behind it it's just it's so easier it's easier to sound fake i guess i don't know i'm still learning yeah no it is because we've, we've gone through this with evan with these what as we mentioned in the kirk episode and also in the kirk episode about framing which i, I don't know if you heard that it did that's so lazy town holy moly i actually screamed with laughter I did that, that real queenie screaming laughter, <laughs> but I cut it out of the episode because oh, no. how embarrassing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't laugh. I'm not letting anyone know that I've got a sense of humor. What are you talking about? Why? Because um, I'm here to play the heinous bitch. Oh, well, well done. Be, then. Well done. I'll be nice to people behind the scenes. Anyways. All right. We've got a fun question now. Okay. On what musical... Would you co-star with the following celebrities? Oh, my goodness. However, you can't repeat a musical. It can't be something you've done oh God. already. Okay. And it can't be something that they're known for. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. So the first one, oh, whoa, 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 Oprah. Oprah. You're co-starring with Oprah. Yes. What musical would you co-star with Oprah? I think Oprah and I would be great in, in I Do, I Do. I Do, I Do. Two-person musical about a married life. Next up, speaking of actors, The Rock. There he goes. Oh, um, 
What musical would you star in with The Rock? I feel like he and I should do The Producers and he'd be a really ridiculous Leo Bloom. Actually, that's a really good choice. You know, like a little bit like playing against type for him to be the weakling. I actually expected you to say that for the last one. The next one, Kim Kardashian. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to give me Broadway celebrities. What show are you on? Kim Kardashian. Well, she should be Hedy LaRue in How to Succeed, and I'll be Bud Frump. Okay. How to Succeed? Are you keeping track of these? Yeah, of course Okay. I am. I, for no, no reason at all, because obviously it's going to be in the episode and I'm just wasting ink. I'll stop doing it now that you've called it out. Don't do it, do it! <laughs> all right, now this one's an easy one for you. Okay. Gandhi. You know that's hard, right? You did refer to, like, actors really? being the people you were going to list. Um, Gandhi, okay, I'm going to say that he will do Fiorello and he will star as Fiorello. Miss Piggy. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's got some range, too. Okay, I'm going to break your rule. I'm sorry. Oh, Miss Piggy needs to play Lily Garland in On the 20th Century. She would be okay. brilliant. And it, because you get to be like, be like the famous movie star, but you start as kind of like the street rat. She'd be wonderful. And I don't honestly care who I would play. I just want to be in it. I know you said it, but I only did a one night Actors Fun concert of it. Yeah, I was going to say it was only a concert. I'll allow it because it was a concert. Yeah, I would play Owen or the the two sidekicks. One of the two sidekicks is who I'd play. Now I'm interested to see this one. Who, what musical would you co-star with Alex Jones? The right-wing crazy nut? If I was. Yeah, with the, the gay frogs, Alex Jones. Alex Jones, yeah. Why would yeah. you do that one? Oh, good um, God. Because I'm a bastard, that's why. <laughs> okay, Cats. <laughs> cats? Yeah, and I would, I would be like either Gus or Old Deuteronomy so I wouldn't have to dance. And he would have to like put on a... He'd have to be like put on a unitard and dance. Oh, and he'd be and we'd humiliate Rum Tum Tugger and, and, and thrust his crutch as Rum yeah. Tum Tugger. There you go. Perfect. Yes. He is a bit of a pussy. Anyways, moving <laughs> on. All right. Um, we'll throw in another fun one now. My voice is going. Uh, you toured with the play that goes wrong. What's one musical that you'd like to see done wrongly? Um, wow. So I would say you'd have to do something really traditional something that people know well so when it goes wrong you get that it's going wrong so i'm gonna go with the sound of music yeah i'd love to say that everything about it is wrong i'd love to say grace with senior citizens that's my retirement plan is it all my a bunch of my broadway friends we want to like retire to a smaller community outside of new york buy a theater and do like old people versions of shows because if you were like visiting oh, wow. somewhere in New York and uh, somewhere in, in the US and you found out a bunch of 75 year old former Broadway people were doing Your Good Man, Charlie Brown or Spring Awakening, wouldn't you go see that? Yeah, definitely. Just elderly people playing children. So fun. Hell yeah. Now, what would your drag name be? My drag name is Turkey Sausage Patty. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Mine's Rose Carla Glasses. Oh, that's good. But that would Im- imply that you have a positive outlook on life. But I did name a friend of mine Yolanda Nina Pickle. Say that one more time. Yolanda Nina Pickle. Yolanda Nina Pickle? Like Yolanda needs a pickle? Yolanda Nina Pickle. Oh, you're landing in a pickle. Oh, okay. All gotcha. right. All right. 
Yolanda Nina Pickle. It, it helps with your accent. Does it? Yeah. Cool. And I we shouldn't say your accent. It helps with whatever. <laughs> yeah, it helps with whatever. That's true. We don't have accents. You do. No, we do. We have awful accents. I can hear it. Uh, okay. Um. All right. Now, um. recently we had a conversation. We've had a couple of conversations about the state of gays in fiction, where we seem to really only exist to be the gay one. And any time we are in the lead, our stories are about the gay experience or, you know, I'm gay and that's it. Like, that's the story. We're, we're not ever playing fireman or what well, no, it's not just, you know, what I mean, part of our, the characters, you know, yeah. what I mean. What's been your experience with this? Uh, I think it's getting better. I think yeah. we're at a point where we're allowed to actually have some bad queer media because like, I mean, we've always had bad oh, queer media always... since I was oh, a kid. Oh yeah, I was going to say. But like, yeah. <laughs> but when like a bad gay movie came out, you were furious because it was all we had. And now yeah. I think we have enough that like not every thing that comes out needs to be the best thing ever. Um, I uh, have only ever really played heterosexuals in my career. You're stealing jobs from heterosexual actors there, Todd. How dare it's you? true. I know. They have so little. They have so little. But this show I created that I've been doing now, um, and it's like, it's a cabaret, but it's very much something that I've written. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it feels like it's me for the first time really exploring my artistry as a queer man. And it feels exciting. And it's like the most me I felt doing something in a long time. It's weird. Like, like you said, I'm a teacher. And when I graduated from musical theater school, no one was ever trying to say it was wrong to be gay. No one would say that. I graduated in a time where, at least in the theater world, it was totally fine to be gay. But you had to, it was like, can you butch it up? Can you play straight? And now there's a lot of these students that come out of school that are like, no, I'm a queer actor. I play queer roles. And I'm a little bit envious of that because I just was never kind of given that opportunity. I'm also a little grateful because there are roles that I've played that aren't queer that are some of my favorite things I've ever done. So I'm really grateful that I've gotten to do them and I will still pursue that stuff if I can. Um, yeah. But I wonder what that's like to just pursue your life as a queer artist. I've always, I think part of me is kind of jealous of these people. Yeah, I'm personally not just off topic. Like I last year when JK Rowling had her, whatever that was, someone turned around and said, are there any gay authors? I want to support gay authors to prove JK Rowling wrong. Right. And I'm like, dude, we've been following each other for three years and I've been posting and posting and posting my novels. Was I not good enough before today? Like, I took it quite personally. Like, is that the only reason why you would pick up my novels? Like, this is, the three of them together are over a thousand pages. So that's sort of, I, I don't want to box myself in as a gay writer is what I'm saying. And for someone else to do it and only want to pay attention to me for that reason, I sort of, I took a step back from that. Um, so I think you're in a better position because you haven't boxed yourself in is what I'm saying. Right. I, I don't, I don't. I don't disagree, but I also think that there's something to, you know, like what's happened in America and across the world during this COVID time in this, but we've also had this like social awakening and yeah. every white person I know has made, has made a conscious effort to buy media, but by books, by people of color, because I, I think like 
uh, like an Asian person writing about their lived experience, previously that was like a niche book that was written for other Asian people, or that's how publishers perceived it. And then how we as consumers perceived it, I, you'd see that book in the bookstore and be like, oh, well, that's not for me. So I do appreciate that there's like a conscious effort to, for white people to look outside their whiteness, because like, at least like, I assume it's the same in Australia, but at least in America, like people of color have always had to look at media showing white people and try to see themselves in it. The same that like queer people can see when Harry met Sally and not just be like, well, this isn't about me. This is about straight people. I'm like, no, this is about love and and comedy and like I definitely see myself in that story but you have to choose to see yourself in that story and so I think people of color have been doing that for years and but white people have never had to and so we just haven't looked at the media of other races and ethnicities wow I just got like super progressive on your podcast you did yeah I hear those right wingers in your are starting to bang (laughs) down your door because they want to cut your podcast off no way i own those bitches what are you talking about anyways (laughs) i don't know what the end of it is though hey evan can i would like to introduce you to another piece of gay culture through liza minnelli have you ever watched arrested development no no i haven't i although i i saw that she was in it but no i haven't seen it no so it's a great tv show you'd really like it she appears i think halfway through season one yeah, she was um, pretending to have extreme vertigo. Yes. And there are points where she is just like falling and doing somersaults over people and falling over couches. It is, on. Um, I mean, I can't believe she didn't win any awards for her work on Arrested Development. She's so funny on that show. That show is also just very funny. I recommend. All right. I'll have to check it out. Now that uh, Todd has told me to watch it, I have to now. Yes. Um, all right. Now we'll move on. You've, you've done a heap of, you, you, I assume you, you do a lot of teaching. Have you ever had a student that's so goddamn talented? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you meet someone that's really young and then just kind of has it together uh, vocally or whatever, I'm just, but I, I often will yeah. sit, I mean, usually with musical theater, you're expected to do so many things well at once and make it all look easy. And you have to do them often all three at the same time. And same fresh every night. And finish with a backflip. And finish with a backflip. But I don't think I've ever met someone that really has a knack for all three right off the bat. But sometimes when you get a student that just has an incredible voice at the age of 18, in a way that you're like, how has your voice matured to that? I will tend to be tougher on that student because, (laughs) no, because I would think, uh, it seems that, When you sing that well right off the bat, a lot of your teachers have let you down over the years. In that, they're like, wow, you sound great. That was wonderful. Sit down. And they're not challenging them on the storytelling and the acting. And I I will say to them, I'm like, look, if you get up in a master class or if you get up in a class and someone and you don't get any notes, then that person is failing you because you're so talented, but it's so easy to be distracted by your voice. And when it comes to auditioning for Broadway shows, you stand outside those audition rooms and everybody sings great. Singing Mm. great doesn't get you a job. Singing great is kind of what's just expected of most people. Yeah, it's a default. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you listen to Liza and Cheetah and it's what I, like, they are so weird. 
they're so specifically themselves. And it's what I say when I, I, I often work with like seniors, I, I bring them, I work on the Michigan showcase that comes to New York. So I work with the 22 year olds and I say, you've spent four years learning to do it right. And ultimately it's the things that are wrong with you that are gonna get you jobs. In that your weirdness is what's gonna get you work. You think of all, you think of all like the Broadway things that you've been forced to listen to Evan and think of all the crazy weirdo voices or weirdo comedy things you've heard. Those mm. are the people we elevate to Broadway stardom. We don't elevate someone that just sings like everybody else and is pretty and nice. That's not it. That's not what intrigues us. So I kind of answered your question and then I answered a bunch of others. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's what we like. We like our guests to talk. Now, um, what has been your experience with standing ovations? And um, have you noticed a change over time in audiences? They're much more common in New York. Yep. I love them. I don't care. <laughs> you don't care? You don't care that they're too easy? Here's the thing. I know when I'm on stage, I like when they stand. And I've been in shows where I'm like, I don't know if this show deserves a standing ovation, but we sure worked hard. And I always think that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they... You deserve you, you deserve an applause for working hard. You deserve a standing ovation for excelling and blowing everyone away. I, I see it as don't that, you think but... the standing ovation is the kind of have you okay, I'm gonna be mean. Have you seen Kinky Boots? Um no. It's not a good show. Great people worked on it. I don't think it adds up to a great show. But the finale and the bow sequence is so good that it kind of tricks you into thinking you love the show, the whole show. Like they put on such a party at the end of the show. It's kind of like what Mamma Mia does with their mega mix where you're like, most of the show you're like, this thing is stupid. And then they put on this great party at the end and you're like, I loved all of it. It tricks you. But like, I think a standing ovation is like, if you pay $200 to see a show, sometimes you're just like, yes, I'm into love it. I want to love it. And like, that's part of the experience. And I saw on the town back in, Oh, it was a long time ago. It was the one that Leah Delaria starred in and Mary Testa was in it. And it was not a well-received production. And I had never seen on the town and I really enjoyed it for getting to see the show. And I thought some people were really good, but clearly I was in the minority in that audience. And I mm -hmm. stood up for an actor. I don't remember. It was either Mary Testa or Leah Delaria who I thought was really extraordinary. And I stood up to cheer during the bows and the person behind me pushed me down. <laughs> and she said, this show is not worth a standing ovation. So here's the thing. I was in the revival of Greece. It wasn't great, but people yeah. loved it. There were people that it was exactly what they wanted. Great. They mm -hmm. get to stand. So I don't think we should go around telling people, what is stand worthy and what isn't. I have been in shows that I would not pay $200 to see, but I know people that did and were very happy with their purchase. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's the audience's experience. And if they had a great time and it makes them feel good to stand, then great. I always feel good yeah. when they stand. Yeah. Have you had anyone sort of eating pizza or... <laughs> you know, cracking open cans of Coke or something, or, you know, talking on their phone. Sure. I mean, in Spelling Bee, we were a thrust in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which you said in a very weird way in the beginning. 
um, you mix those words up a little bit, but it was fun. But so like the audience was kind of all around us and the rush tickets were these like benches that sat like practically on the floor in front of us. And people were always like eating and doing weird things. And then sometimes yeah. <laughs> like a little girl would have a scary doll that was just staring like, and you'd be like on stage because it was all around you. And the audience was kind of part of the show. We were doing a spelling bee. And in our world, they were the people there to watch the spelling bee. So we got to yeah. kind of interact with them and see them. Yeah, that's, I, I think yeah. that was, those were the rudest audiences. Otherwise I never, when I'm on Broadway, I don't see the audiences at all. Now, just still on Spelling Bay. Mm-hmm. Now, you, obviously, you covered six characters. I'm guessing that wasn't all at one time. But so, can you tell our audience what that's like? Because we've had a few sort of swings and understudies on, but I don't think anyone who has covered the entire male cast of a show before. Well, I mean, I don't know why it says six because there are only five male characters, and then once I had to do a press event as one of the women, but. Oh, okay. So that's probably where the sixth one came from. I, maybe I said it somewhere. I might have miscounted because I am a fucking idiot. No, so. no, no, no. Um, no, I probably did miscount. It might have been five. Yes, you I, played five characters. I think there's... I don't know. It was Broadway World. Yeah. There's five men in the show. Um, but yeah, I it was my Broadway debut. The show hadn't... I was the only person hired for when the show moved to Broadway because they had two yeah. understudies off Broadway just because people had personal days, but they couldn't cover the entire cast. So I was there to cover all of the white men, Jose Lana, and then they tried to teach me um, Derek Baskin's part, the comfort counselor. And it's just like, they did, they were gonna make me wear dreadlocks and stuff. And I was like, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. So it was like on my contract for a little bit and then we took it off. It was great. I mean, I'm so happy it was my Broadway debut because it taught me about being an understudy. It taught me about how we are a little bit invisible you know, opening night, there are four understudies. There are nine people on stage. There's four understudies. Opening night, we went to the party and the four of us sat at the cast table and were told that we would have to get up when the real cast arrived. Oh. And they, like, there are just little things like I was yanked out of a picture at our one-year anniversary because I was an understudy and just, like, weird things. And, and also, like, someone once called out at five minutes and I had to suddenly become, get ready to go on at five minutes before the show started. So one, like I've not understudied since, but now when it's like opening night, I make sure the people that are understudying my character are in photos with me and feeling welcome and feeling loved and important. And um, I also like, if I don't feel well, I make that decision to, I, you know, I have rules of like, if it's a 2 p.m. performance, I have to call out by 11. If it's an 8 p.m. performance, you know, mm-hmm. just because I live yeah. my life every day knowing that I have to do this show and sing these songs and these other people don't necessarily do that. And they kind of can't be expected yeah. to. So you just got to give them as much prep time as you can give them because it's a hard job. And at the same time, mm. if someone falls down the stairs in five minutes, it's your job to go on. Right. That's what you're there for. Or during the show. Or during the show. Yeah. It's happened many, many times that suddenly there's a different actor halfway through a show. Yeah. Okay. Now, what do you hope for for the next five to 10 years of your career? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like so many of us are at a turning point with COVID. Like it, like it's that whole thing of like, will I ever work again? Will there be enough theater to work again? It's hard because I'm really proud of how New York is handling it. 
we have a very high vaccination rate in New York City. And I had breakthrough COVID and it sucked, but I was down for two weeks and then I could resume and it never got dire. Do I kind of wish I had a government like you guys had? So, because you guys have actually had like real life come back a few times. Well, state governments are responsible yeah. for that. The federal government oh. is a fucking Oh, it's idiot. been an absolute clusterfuck on the federal level. Yes. It has. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just hope, I mean, it's hard across America. I have a friend that works at an Arkansas theater and he said, we can't tell our ticket buyers that you have to be vaccinated and wear a mask because we will lose a bunch of our audience. Whereas it's politicized. Yeah. I mean, it all became politicized in a ridiculous way that makes no sense. Like, I don't know what the end game is. I'm like, cause I'm like, right wingers are you, you're just losing the people that believe in what you believe in. Right. These people are just dying now. So Mm. Mm. you don't know what your end game is there. I mean, they're already looking at states with, uh, you know, low vaccination rates, you know, high Republican states. And they're looking at possibly if things keep going the way they are, literally shifting the voting demographic because your Republicans are dying. Yeah, but they their end game is simple. They do not want the left wing to have anything. (laughs) Right. And so. This whole thing, this this whole thing has been seen from the very very start as being something that the it was fake to so that the left wing can bring communism to America. Yeah, it was fake so that there would be they could um fill up the fucking child trafficking tunnels that were underneath America. Right, there's these were the conspiracies that I was sitting there watching from those people I mentioned before. <laughs> You gotta stop watching Alex Jones. No, no, no. I these are people that I see on Twitter. And the other one was that it was to bring down Trump, that it was all fake to bring down Trump. So because oh, those three conspiracies went around at the very, very start of this a year and a half ago, they got that in their heads from the very start that wearing a mask, getting vaccinated, doing the right thing, staying locked down is a left-wing thing. Wow. And so that's why they will not cooperate. Plain and simply is fucking easy. It's a simple solution here. Right wingers, stop being fucking children. That's it. Stop being <laughs> defiant children. Yeah. All right. It's like when I say to my 11 year old nephew, don't stab yourself in the fucking face with your scissors. And two seconds later, he stabs himself in the fucking face with the scissors. Or when I told my mother not to wipe down the toaster while it was on or pour water onto the kettle while it was on. And she continued doing it because, because why is my son telling me not to pour fucking water over electricity? Cause it's stupid. Stop acting like children, people. And we'll be out of this mess. Anyways, that's my rant. Every day you, you read something here where they're like, they thought it was a hoax. They thought it was, a, and now he's mm. dead. Like yeah, every day. And all these right-wing radio hosts in America that had all these like are dying. Yeah. There's been like five yeah. of them that have died. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm, I know. Look, everyone else, you want to gloat about it and and laugh and dance around when people die. No, to me, it is sad and is heartbreaking because nobody should find out that they are wrong, so remarkably wrong in that way. Nobody should rock up home and find their husband dead after being in hospital with COVID to find their husband. I don't care if they're an anti-vaxxer or refuse to wear a mask. They are still human beings. Nobody deserves to find out they are wrong 
that way. I don't blame those people. I blame blame the people that are like our vaccinated lawmakers that are are still pushing this ridiculousness. Because it's all right for them. They they've got the vax. They and they want the votes. Yeah. So then they play up to their right wingers. It's just this fucking drain the swamp all over again. They don't mean what they're saying. No. They just want the votes. Yeah. Oh, go, going back to what you were saying about um, you know, they 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 can't uh, mandate vaccinations for ticket sales. You, I guess you, you're going to end up hurting both sides. I'm, I'm kind of wondering what, what the percentage of, you know, anti-vaxxers would attend a Broadway show and then you're going to alienate your, your regular goers going, you know, we can't guarantee that everyone in here is vaccinated. Right, but I, Broadway is willing to take that gamble. When Delta hit in late July, early August, Broadway saw a, a steep drop in ticket sales. And then that's when they said, mm. we're doing vaccinations and, and masks. And then the ticket sales started to climb again. But that's, but, and that's Broadway. And that's not necessarily tours, Broadway tours, but I'm talking about like a regional theater in Arkansas, that you're in Arkansas. So if you're going to exist, mm. you have to know that a certain amount of your population that comes to your show are going to be people that like theater but vote for republicans you just that's just gonna be what it is on a side note i watched the wrestling the other day the aew they had a packed sold out yeah arena i'm not sure where it was um and i'm sure that you know vaccinations weren't mandatory and masks weren't mandatory no of course but not I, at a guess at a guess I, I was thinking about 80 80 to 90 percent of people were wearing masks and this oh, is they? this is a wrestling crowd you know, you, you know, the good chunk of them are right wing. Rednecks. You know, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't go that far. But. Rednecks. I was surprised the amount of masks there were when they weren't required. That's why I think Broadway doing the responsible thing of like, yes, we are going to hold group events. But the only people coming are vaccinated masks, meaning that like. Yeah. If you're vaccinated, the chances that you're going to get sick and die of this, it's possible, but it is so much rarer in the same way that like, and I hate to compare it to this because this is what the right wingers like to compare it to, but like in flu season, there are people that die of the flu. So we might end up having to do this. I am just like also a part of, I'm, I'm a union leader in the stage actors mm -hmm. union and like, we just have like a decimated art form like and everyone that works in this business is like people have lost their homes I, i'm just trying to I, I just want us to work i want us to find a way to work yeah. and i if you asked me a year ago i would say it's not worth it but after all this yeah. time i'm like people have to find a way to have their livelihoods working again yeah i do worry because as i say we're closed up again now yeah we've been in lockdown for a month so sort of what's that is that is that a new york train oh no sorry my my uh something happened with my sound but i am near the bridge and they've been working on it uh -huh. for years oh have they um, i i get excited anytime i hear sounds from new york yeah like a a police Listen to the F. Michael Haney episode. There's a siren and I get so excited by it. But anyways, Evan, do you have any more questions? No, no. Um, yeah, no, I think I've 
run out of questions. No, no, I have run out of questions. I definitely oh, have. no. Uh, yeah, so if wait, only there were more articles about me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to ask you why you got into theater for crying out loud. I've, how many times? I couldn't catch a ball, so I learned to sing and dance. Well, you're 11 years old. I know that you, you got taken to a show. So I read it in three fucking articles. That's I'm like, God, these basic yeah. bitches. Who are these people asking you these questions? I, I am going to ask how you got into the bathtub. Like what, what was the, uh, the thinking of theater in the bath? I did it the first night I was sent home from tour. I got home, okay, yeah. I think on a Friday or Saturday. And that was with the play that went wrong? Play that goes wrong. Yeah. And I was afraid that I would be, well, I knew I like sat on the couch and I know like as much as I always want time off, you give me just two hours on the couch and I'm like, I'm garbage. I feel like I feel terrible. I hate myself. Me too. If I have too much time off, I lose my mind, which has yes. been hard because I've had two years of time off. And so I texted a few friends and I said, hey, I'm going to put this monologue that everybody did in college. I'm going to videotape myself doing it. Videotape on my phone. And it, it's this monologue from Lost in Yonkers. It's this like act two monologue that Bella does about like my babies, my babies. It's like very wonderful, but dramatic monologue. And so I was looking for somewhere to do it in my apartment. And as you can tell, as we heard on here, that sometimes you can just hear New York City. And the quietest place I could find in my apartment was the bathroom. And then I was like, well, there's a curtain. And so <laughs> I just like, like opened the curtain, did the monologue and closed the curtain. Well, I said, thank you and closed the curtain. And I just like put it on Facebook and Instagram and people like fucking loved it. And so I was like, okay, I'll do something tomorrow. And I just kept doing it. And they got more musical and they got more technical and I did a hundred of them. Yeah, no, it's bad. I was, I was sitting there watching them and, and funny, you, you mentioned Lost in Yonkers. That is one of the few plays that I have seen. It's a great play. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ruth Cracknell. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was brilliant. Wow. Ruth Cracknell. Okay. It, Todd, you'd have no idea who that is. It's Australian actress. Legend. No longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah, no longer with us. But yeah, that was the one, the only time I'd, I'd, I think it was in school. We all went as a school class and went and watched Lost in Yonkers and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and loved Ruth Cracknell ever since. You know, she she was a legend. She was amazing in that. She was in everything she did. Now, Evan, I have your drag name. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't have a drag name. Well, now you do. Mary J. Beige. <laughs> but are you telling him he's boring by saying beige? Of course. What show are you on, Todd? <laughs> I have to say, I read, I like more. I mean, although he hates Sunny in the Park with George music, I'm very Team Evan here. Oh. <laughs> I put on a shirt for you. <laughs> you put on two shirts, it seems. Uh, no, a t shirt underneath the shirt. Yeah, yeah. Got, but I didn't button it up. So and, sorry. I was going to say, it's got buttons and everything. Yeah. Oh, actually, I, I couldn't find the answer to this. You were in, uh, you did a part in Law and Order, and I couldn't mm -hmm. find what the part was. And I was wondering, were you a dead body? No, no. Okay. So, especially in my early TV career, I played a lot of things that, like, today would be inappropriate. Oh, okay. So, I played um, a 17 year old boy with special needs. Okay. Now, the good part is I was like 29 and they thought I looked 17, but like I, they, and I was just, uh, it was criminal intent. And I, Tom Arnold, who is Roseanne's ex-husband mm -hmm. was hiding his special boy somewhere. And that was like the crux of the episode. So when they found me, 
but I <laughs> was just like trying to do like, like, and of course today you wouldn't hire an able person to play a disabled role. But like, I was trying to do a respectful portrayal. And after every take, the crew would come up to me like, dude, you are hilarious. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> yeah, it's not on my reel anymore. Your reel of like a bunch yeah, of like your TV so appearances. And my agent was really sad when we took it off because he loves it. Yeah. Damn, I'm going to have to try to seek it out. But it, it does mean that you're not a Broadway unicorn. I am sorry to say. Right. You do not join that elusive group. Also, I was trying to find more on the big gay musical and I found that the, the creator killed himself and I was... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, at the start of the year. I mean, that was a really slight thing. And when I filmed it, they had written a verse of a fake song for me. Mm -hmm. And then they, and they were like, do verse two. When I was filming, there was no verse two written. Yeah. <laughs> so what you hear of verse two is what I made up on the spot. I just yeah. improvised a second verse to the song. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but then like, I've all, I've never been in a movie that like actually got released anywhere. Um, like I'm in this Swedish film or no, 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 no. It's an Irish film, Swedish. It's an Irish film that never got released here. There's a great movie called Girls Will Be Girls and I'm in Girls Will Be Girls 2 but it was called Girls Will Be Girls 2012, but it's never been released. So it always just stays the top of my IMDb as like in yeah. production. And I'm yeah. like, release the movie or don't release the movie, but stop making it be the top of my IMDb. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why on IMDb it always says like known for big gay musical. I'm in like a scene making up a song. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen it. It's not very good. Gay cinema isn't though. Like, but sometimes, I, so, have you ever when? seen the original Torch Song trilogy? So good. Okay, that's, but I don't consider that as gay cinema. I consider that as cinema. Um, I consider gay cinema something like that Scorpion Girls or whatever that um, Chaz Bono was in when um, before the transition. Like, this is what my sister forced me to watch when, when she was a lesbian. I've never even seen that. Um, there's a whole story behind that. Anyways, where can people find you on the socials? Um, I am uh, at Todd Buonapane, B-U-O-N-O-P-A-N-E on Twitter and yep. at Todd.Buonapane on Instagram. Yeah. And you can and... follow my, and th those will all connect to my YouTube page. All of my bathtub theaters and the refrigerator songs are um, on those, but they're kind of cataloged on my YouTube page too, which are, those will connect to my YouTube page too. And nudity free. Uh, well, I mean, I do sometimes just sing with just like a towel on and I, I do a nip slip here or there when I'm in the tub. Really? Anyways, we won't get into that one on this show. Uh, I think that's it. That's an episode. Yeah, it's nearly. So thank you very much to Todd Buonapane for joining us. Thank you to my co-host Evan for being my co-host and <laughs> to you at home. How does that dig? How is that a dig? I, I it's all in the delivery, mate. It's all in the delivery. Uh, there's a certain, like, grim, sardonic, like, is my co-host. Thank you for existing. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> Anyways, that's it from us. Thank you guys so much for being with us for the whole year. If you've been with us for the whole year, if not, go back and listen to some old episodes. Don't listen to the first few. The sound 
leveling is really shocking. Uh, I'll get to that one day. Thank you so much to all our guests throughout the past 12 months and to those we've got coming up. Happy birthday to us. I've been Aaron. That's been Evan. Thanks so much to Todd Bonapane for joining us on our birthday episode. And if you're in New York, be sure to go check out Todd's show, All Washed Up, at the Green Room 42 on November 21st. Check below for details, or follow Todd on Twitter, or you can follow us on Twitter, at Thrash and Treasure. And to you at home, take care, and we shall see you next time. Hooray! Excellent. No worries, you guys are so fun. <laughs>